If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to check out new episodes every Wednesday and every Sunday. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Late Breaking F1 podcast presented by Harry Eid, Sam Sage and me, Ben Hocking. I feel like it's a tad ironic that we've got to this point in January and we've still got a 100% record attendance across all three of us in the only month where there's not really anything <laughs> going on. That just feels very late breaking. What do you mean nothing's going on? So well, much is going relative. on. What's going on? Has helped us out. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, it's, it's the first thing they've done that's productive for a long time. Well, as soon as the season starts, I'm out of here. Bye, guys. That is how it works. <laughs> um, See you later. Preview. And we do have Patreon, of course, where you can pay to get Harry, who is always there. Yeah. I only, I only do it for the people that pay. It's a high-cost member. I am. Good. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, well, today's schedule is basically everything we were going to talk about last week, but then we got completely carried away with giving our most underrated drivers. So That's there's fine. like three topics on here that we were supposed to talk about then. But alongside that, and what we'll kick off with today is regarding Gene Haas. So obviously we very, very kindly, thank you Haas, decided to announce the news just ahead of time for our Wednesday recording. So if you haven't heard our initial response to uh, Gunter Steiner leaving the team, you can do so in our previous episode. Um, but of course, we were just reacting to that very, very breaking news. Gene Haas has since had a few comments uh, about the hire of Aokamatsu. Um Obviously, it was a decision where there's a hire internally or look externally. Quite a few external candidates that they could have looked at. Mattia Bonotto, of course, currently a free agent. Um, Jos Capito, a free agent as well. I think Otmar Safnauer was in the running, but he couldn't pay for childcare because, you know, <laughs> oh. who, who wants to look after nine kids? Pricey these days. Um, that's good stuff. Lives, that's isn't it? good banter, Ben. Well done. <laughs> yeah, it's, congrats. It's poor. Real poor. Um, anyway, so Kamatsu has been with the team 
ever since uh, Roman Grosjean moved from Lotus to the team um, a number of years ago now, uh, Gene Haas had the following to say uh, about the decision. I've been running Haas Automation for over 40 years now, bringing people in from the outside. It takes them time to learn, six months to a year. And a lot of the time, you don't even like them. <laughs> it's better to take people you know, uh, and even if they are not the perfect fit, at least you know what you're going to get. That's really worked out well, pretty well for us here at Haas Automation. So I'm really applying a lot of the building blocks that were here to the Formula One team. Uh, I really like to have people that I know who understand the day-to-day operations, understand the people, rather than bringing in a stranger who is going to stir everything up and create a mess. Sam, Gene Haas is sat on the fence. (laughs) It's the the line. You might not even like him. Absolutely gets me. Are you hiring people to be your best friend, Gene? Oh, need to hire my friends. Um, I thought this was a hilarious interview and there's some logic behind it. The bit that really got me was, you know, we've had serious success currently doing it this way uh, at Haas. And, you know, we're talking about Formula One here. I don't care about the rest of the fight, the, the, the racing empire that Gene Haas has. Um, empire's a strong word, really. Done all right, isn't he? He's done all right. He's d- outside of Formula One, he's done all right. Yeah. Inside Formula One. Rubbish. Um, and he's, he's gone down this route of, I really like to talk to the people that know me and I refuse to talk to anyone else. And I can't say it has gone well for you, Gene, really. Um, Gunter's a nice man, right? We like him here at Late Breaking. And I'm sure if he were to come onto the podcast, we'd have a grand old time. Maybe do like a cooking show. He's got more time now. He has got more time. Maybe he could be our roving reporter. <laughs> and we go over to Gunter Steiner. But he's not there. No, that's the joke. Like you used to be the roving reporter for Let's not get into Palmer that. and Alarm. No. <laughs> That's weird content. <laughs> so he's run down this route of comparing, you know, the new hire come actually to, you know, the internal build that he's brought up there, which I kind of respect, you know, you know, promoting from within makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure in our own work, we've all talked about how, you know, oh, there's a job position they should promote from within. A lot of people work hard. It's nice to give people that chance, but it feels like he's more promoted from within because he's gone, I don't like anyone else. Don't, don't, I can't take the risk on, on having a, someone who's not my friend in the organisation. So I know that I like that guy. So I'm going to promote him. Busy mates. Um, fair, fair play too, Gene, though. If you look at other organisations that have been through similar changes in leadership over the recent years, and Toto Wolff and Christian Horner are by far now the longest lasting team bosses that have been at one team. I saw the other day, Mike Crack is now the third yes. longest standing team principal. That is That's ridiculous. <laughs> Was it three seasons? He did. Oh no, he's on two seasons, has he? Yeah, is it two? Two yeah, and a half now. Like, yeah, 22 yeah, and 23. Point being, it's not very it's not long. ridiculous, time. right? So he's looking at this and going, am I seeing other teams have success by bringing in this almost merry-go-round at the moment of team bosses? Uh, Bonotto's been mentioned. Obviously, Schnaffnau has also been brought up as an option. Childcare pending. And it's one of those things that you think of, Alpine, have you been successful with your absolute roll call of managers time after time after time bringing in someone new have you seen that success ferrari you keep changing your tact you have had marketing-based managers you have had you know ferrari men down to the core you've had those who are focused around a certain department not working the only example that i feel where hiring from within is actually successful of course is mclaren with stella and that is currently working so he's maybe looking at that model and going there's security there. There's someone that understands the brand. I can rely on that person. It's worked for McLaren. Why don't I do it with my team here? I remove the people person that is good to Steiner and I bring someone in who is tactical and analytical, Kamatsu from internal to make them the team leader. He states that we're great at people management. I'm not sure about that, but we're great on Netflix Drive to Survive. Yes, Gunter does a great job there. We're not good at understanding the, the analytical side of things, which confuses me because Gunter's actual background 
is engineering, right? I think so. That's what he used to do back before he was a team boss. So anyway, he's gone for this internal hire. I, I don't really think it's going to revolutionise things as, as Ben equated to in his fantastic analogy last episode. The real problem, regardless of who you stick up the top, is that you've got a, you've got a flash for cash. Uh, I tweeted the other day that it's like trying to run a five-star hotel and giving the guests sleeping bags. You have to make sure that the full experience and the full equipment and, the, and is provided. And Kevin Magnuson came out the other day and said, an example of how bad our funding is at the moment is that our pit stops are so slow because our wheel guns are from 2016 and they've never been replaced and they're just old. How ridiculous is that? Your wheel guns are eight years old. Good like, job. I mean, you get your money's worth, Gene. But yeah, it's just a bit of a mess there. I don't. I think Gene is pointing to everyone but himself as a, a reason for there being the problems at Haas. They, they could have success. We've said this so many times. They're the only ones that could tap into the American market as being the you know the hometown heroes. They just seem to refuse to do so. It's a very confusing strategy in that sense. So they've gone for this internal hire. I really hope for the team that they're able to be successful, but I fear they're going to come up against the exact same problems that Gunter has had for seven, eight years. It's a new McDonald's advert in that. Is there? You know, the, like getting your money's worth. Mm. Hass, is, Hass using their uh, eight-year-old wheel guards. <laughs> Get your money's worth. <laughs> Good. Mm. Surprised they haven't, you know, spoken to, you know, a team from the 70s. I suppose they haven't, you know, gone to Arrows or something. Like, you got anything from 2002 that still works? Andrea Moda, got any spare wheel guns? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Ferrari. Can we look into your archives, please? We'd just like to borrow some brake discs that you might not have used. <laughs> Oh, yes. Phil Hill used this one back in 1961. <laughs> Let's have that. You can have it for £8.40. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you make of these comments, Harry? He's, he's funny, isn't he, Gene House? I didn't realise that. I don't know if he's intentionally funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, it, it just smacks of the fact that he doesn't want to spend any money yeah. again. Yeah. Um, and I, you're right. Promoting from within, I think, is important. And you mentioned McLaren, which, you know, they did it with Andrea Stella was I think that's been a good call all round. Um but the problem is versus Haas, McLaren have invested a lot of money in turning their team around. Right. Zach Brown's been spending a dollar uh yeah. changing things up. Stella's building a, a building with every tool under his belt supplied to him and Gunter Steiner's there with a ruler. Yeah Gene Haas has just picked the next person who like cheapest option. Literally. Because I I'm sure a, a, an outside as you say there are other options, but an outside hire would be more expensive than promoting uh, from within, just seems like that's that's what he's after again. Yeah, I also just think that any outside hire would go, well, I've got these plans and these plans and these plans, and I need to make sure that, you know, leadership are committed to this. If you're not going to give me the supplies required, then I don't want to take the job. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was met with some of those responses. Yeah, and and, and then, so it doesn't seem like he wants to spend the money. And then to the point, his point about not wanting to shake things up, why not, Gene? What's been going so well so far? Literally. What? It's like, you know, I don't want to shake this bin bag in the hope that some gold might fall out. What do you think is in the bin it's bag, exactly mate? exactly what you need. <laughs> you know what they say, if it's broke, don't fix it. <laughs> exactly that. Oh, so I don't understand the the logic behind it, to be honest. And uh, I know he's you referencing what he's done in the past, but uh, he, he must have discovered by now Formula 1's a different kind of sport Yeah. versus NASCAR, for example. So... Uh, might might require a different approach, Gene, because it's not worked so far. I think you should have got someone in. And, and again, this is not a, I'm not dissing who they have promoted, but I don't know. just feels like if you were going to get rid of Gunter Steiner, a seasoned team principal, replace him with a different seasoned 
team principal who might do something different because at the moment you're just promoting someone that they'll probably carry on as they were. And they've shown as a company that they, they refuse to maintain chances for rookies, right? You had, they brought Schumacher in and they immediately got rid of him because of the lack of experience. Good to come out and said that now he's able to. And yet you've promoted a team boss who I'm sure is brilliant at what he does on the technical side, has no experience managing companies, people properly, a whole team, you know, and yet you've gone, we'll give the rookie a go when we're at our lowest point ever in Formula One. That comment from Steiner wound me up because, yeah, he didn't have any experience, but like, what, he's a rookie. Yeah, what that's the, that is the point. In, in his experience. <laughs> the point of getting a rookie <laughs> is to build the rookie. Yeah, and don't give him a terrible car for one year. Rookies thinks that they're apparently veterans. Good to Steiner's like, that's what that means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a veterans one that's not actually, McLaren have decided they're going to go back to David Coulthard instead of Oscar <laughs> Piastri now because Piastri doesn't have enough experience. <laughs> that is the way forward. Yeah, yes. I didn't like that. That was a stupid comment, but anyway. Um, yeah, this is this is dumb. In conclusion. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> end of end of statement. Uh, yeah, this is... Gene Haas isn't very um, PR savvy, or maybe he just doesn't care. I think it's probably more that, in that F1 has increasingly become a world of saying as little as you can, um, you know, to not give anything away. When it comes to Gene Haas, he will he'll say exactly what he thinks, uh, which isn't always a good thing because most of what I think he said here is wrong. Um, this was a real opportunity for Gene Haas. Whether you agree with the the Steiner decision or not, this was an opportunity for Gene Haas to, to, to back and to support and to endorse Komatsu and whoever he brings in alongside him. This was his opportunity to go, look, the decision was made. I didn't like where we were. Here's why we're going in this direction. But he hasn't done that. Because rather than endorse Komatsu, he's basically just endorsed why he didn't do something else. He And I know it's a very subtle difference, but in terms of pure motivation and the message you're putting out there, I think it is a substantial difference. He could have used this opportunity to say, look, I could have hired externally, but here's why Komatsu is the right person. Here's why I think he is best suited for this role. Instead, he's he's gone with, well, an external hire wouldn't have been a good idea because of this, this, and this. Don't advocate why you're not doing something. Advocate why you're doing something. I feel like that would be a better endorsement for for Komatsu. Um, I mean, a lot of and a lot of people could probably relate to this, either themselves or someone else within their their working life. Where you know, imagine imagine a world where you've received a promotion, and you know you could have it could have gone external, but you've been given the nod internally. You're you're at the company, and you hear your boss say. It's better to take the people you know, and even if they're not the perfect fit, at least you know what you're going to get. That is not a ringing endorsement. I feel like he could have boosted his confidence a lot. As you say, he's never done anything like this before. I feel like in this position, he could use uh, a real vote of confidence from Gene Haas. Instead, he's gone, well, I don't know. I was walking the corridors and he was there and he was available. So I decided to take him. That's not that's not what you want to be instilling in your employees after a promotion. It just set, it sends a message to the world that um, you know the status quo was the safest option. And as you've already alluded to, status quo is okay if you're doing well. Hass aren't. So I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure this was overall the right approach from from Gene Hass. Um, I mean, where he says like a stranger would create a mess. 
instead of just saying, again, I, I don't agree with the way he's framed this. A stranger would create a mess, sure. But focus on the benefits of what Komatsu's done in his time at Haas. Focus on the benefits of, you know, Komatsu is my full support to revolutionize and update any and all processes within the company. Like that, that is a way to to really move this forward. Uh, I was I was disappointed with the way that that Gene Haas approached this. It just feels like Haas are like this this League One team that crept into the Premier League somehow without anyone noticing. And unlike the Premier League, if we're using a football reference, you'd just be relegated. But Haas can't be, and they're just sat there as this inferior outfit. Not to discomatsu for his even a day on the job as well. But whilst, yes, Haas has raved on about the wrong things, you're right, you should throw support entirely behind Jinglu Mang and see it as a positive. Much like what um, Stake have done, right, with the changeover of Alfa Romeo. They know that they're not going to win titles in the next two years, realistically. But they've gone around, they've gone, we're going to revolutionise things. We're going to change how marketing works with the car. They've gone down all these positive aspects. Makes total sense to do that right now, the changing of the guard. He has just turned around and given... No praise to external, no praise to internal, and then promoting a man who realistically has been a part of Gunter Steiner's team for, what, eight years, who also hasn't achieved anything. The guy's been in charge of the technical aspect of that car for eight years. No breakthrough, nothing new, nothing revolutionary has come out of it. So you've hired a guy who was underneath the guy that you just got rid of to do the job that you just got rid of, who was also part of the team of the guy you just got rid of and hope that he's going to be entirely different and successful and change everything because he's a more analytics guy and not a person guy. It just, it smacks of laziness. It smacks of, I can't be bothered to do my research and I can't be bothered to change anything because it costs money and my time. That's what it feels like. He's gone out and said, I don't really like cheese and ham sandwiches, but I have one every single day and they taste fine, I suppose. But I'm not trying that chicken teriyaki sandwich over there. You know what? Put a pickle in my cheese and ham sandwich. It might be slightly better. Dunno, but most of the ingredients are exactly the same. Fine, I'll get on with it again. That's what it feels like. He just can't be bothered to change up his order. And it doesn't work, Gene. The team's going to be the same. Bloody love a pickle. I know you do. I thought I'd give it a mention just for you. <laughs> He loves that. Also, you commit. I, I, I agree with you as well. Like the, the most comedic line of this was that he doesn't like people or doesn't like new people. <laughs> I, I feel like someone needs to tell him that there is no exception to this. No exception. Everyone is new to a company at some point. <laughs> like you cannot avoid that. It is unavoidable. Gunter Steiner, Komatsu, they were new at one point. You can't just not update because you're not sure you're going to like the new person. No one else left more- eventually. Yeah, just run out. Everyone is new at some point. (laughs) Just be him with the janitor, and he'll go. "Uh, It's just you and me, Keith. Same janitor at my apartment. Um, (laughs) He's got lots of jobs. He'll go. You're the only person I like, Keith. And he'll go. We do need someone to build the car, though, because I can't do that. I'm just very good at keeping the place clean. And go. Nah, you're the same boss now, Keith. Let me new. (laughs) You can't have new people. On that logic. It would still be Roman Grosjean and Esteban Gutierrez. Surely. Surely. Because <laughs> the, the company wouldn't have been created based on that project <laughs> because everyone who started there was new. It would just be his own family that's older than him because anyone that's younger than him are new to the planet. Every time a new child appears. They're like, no, no, hate you. <laughs> feel like that whole line, that, that paragraph, it, it speaks more to who Gene Haas is rather than the people he'd be bringing in. Like, just grumpy learn old to play man. with others, Gene. Just a grumpy old man that wants to be left alone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, gosh. So um, who's replaced? I mean, Komatsu's obviously had a promotion. So I guess that means Bonotto's going to be his number two then. No, because he's new to the company. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Everyone's getting a promotion. Everyone is stepping up. And whoever was at the bottom beforehand, there is now just a void. And this will continue to happen. That's how it works at Haas. Uh, they are actually hiring someone new to be the um, CEO of the company, who I think is going to be Europe-based. Um, but yeah, I think that whoever that new CEO is, plus the plus Komatsu, they'll report directly into Gene Haas. But it remains to be seen who that hire is. Now, what is the responsibilities of that individual, right? Because that can differ massively team to team, company to company. And I'm sure, is that something that maybe Zach Brown does? That more relevant in terms of McLaren, right? He's the he's the director of the company, isn't he? Yeah, well, that's probably his sort of role. So it'd be more of a marketing. So they, I've accepted that Komatsu is team focused, car building, analytics man. Strange superhero that I've created there. Uh, analytics man. What's that in the sky? It's analytics man. <laughs> analytics man would get stuff done. <laughs> he's perfectly equated where to land without any issue to anyone else. He's analytics man. Exactly. Um, and then they must have. Marketing man, who's really annoying guy who shouts at me a lot on the streets. Um, Have I you guess got something to tell us, Sam, about a new job? I might be leaving the show. I'm the only person that Gene has. Analytics <laughs> man is in the sky. Marketing man is running along the street. <laughs> Selling things as he goes. Buy this. Buy this now. Okay. Um, I imagine that's what this is doing, right? And they've gone to Europe because obviously I think they're trying to equate Haas as more of a European brand. Again, I think that's a mistake. Tap into what you already have that no one else does, which is the North American market. And yet they're not going to. So it'd be really interesting to see who they bring in and how that happens. And maybe they'll have more than three sponsors on the car. Early Hall of Famer there. Well, marketing man, analytics man. Analytics man. Analytics man. I mean, not a discussion for today, but uh, Haas also did, uh, Gene Haas also did um, say no on the whole Andretti rumour front that there might be a buy out there. So... That's a shame, isn't it? Doesn't look like. Don't look like that's a route. <sighs> Let them in then. Let them cook. Yeah. Good. Let's close off this segment with that then, shall we? Uh, everyone get their first sandwiches of the day. We're going to our first break. On the other side, we're going to be talking Mohammed Ben Suliam. That's oh, my favourite mid mid podcast topic. <laughs> get the dining table ready. The candles are lit. Oh gosh. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. 
Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Okay, everyone, welcome back. Uh, Mohammed bin Suleim, a comment from him, caught our eye the other day, which is him saying that friction between F1 and Formula One management is sometimes healthy. Sam, is it? Uh, on, the, on the surface of it, I don't disagree with him, actually. And I do think that both of these organisations, two, you know, twins fighting over the same toy they have to keep each other in check to some degree because otherwise one will walk off and start an evil empire i'm sure of it um formula one management has to do the same for fia and the fia has to do the same for formula one management i do think they in a strange world need each other they just has to be a you know a line drawn in the sand of how far that goes because they really do like to pull each other's hair don't they when it when it comes to literally any topic ever discussed um but i think he's right i do think that without FIA, we might never see an 11th team arrive because Ben Suleim is championing that more than anyone else. And I do think on the other hand, we might not see new ventures happen because Formula One wants to try new things. So we might not get new locations. We might not see different rule types coming. Uh, I'm trying to think of something that they've done recently as an example, but sprint races is all that comes to mind. And I refuse to give that any credit. Uh-huh. Anyway, my point being here that I think... If you let it all be run under one head, there is a chance that direction all flows one way. And it means that us as spectators, if it goes the wrong way, could see uh, the sport transform into something that we have no desire to watch. It could suck out a lot of the entertainment. Uh, a lot of the competition could be removed if it, if it goes a certain direction. So I think you need an external regulator. You need someone that isn't controlled by the dominating force that owns the sport to keep things in check and make sure that things are competitive and open and available and Things are open to change, which is good. I just don't know if Ben Sillian has always had the right approach in ensuring that that friction is a healthy friction. But yeah, I think generally the statement is fair. Do you think the statement's fair, Harry? Um, I... No. <laughs> good. <laughs> good. Not, not particularly. I, friction in this room. I, I know, I, I see, I understand your points. Um, I just... I think it's not it's not great for it's not great for F1 uh, that we have this and, and again I'm not I'm not saying it's unwarranted the friction between them currently because it's it's the FIA being being rubbish most of the time. Yeah. But I um I just don't think it's good it was in the long run I don't think it's good for the sport for this to be carry on or for them there to be this friction. I watched uh, the other day the second episode and I know I'm taking a long time the second episode of the Braun documentary Crikey, it came out months ago. Yeah, I know. I, I, it's good. I just thought, sort of forgot about it. But in the second episode, and this is something that had completely escaped my memory, it covers a lot about the um, battle between F1 slash the FIA and FOTA. FOTA, yes. Formula One Teams Association. Yeah. I, this whole thing completely escaped my mind. Anyway, the, uh, spoiler alert, the F1 and FIA won. Max Mosley and Bernie. What? Yeah, yeah. There was no breakaway series, sadly. Um, but it rem- it reminded me that that 
there was a time when the FIA in Formula One, and I'm not saying this was better, but they were, they were, they were together on everything. They were. Like they did not disagree. You did not get in between Bernie and Max. It just didn't happen. Um, and say this, say that sort of situation ar- ar- arose again, we'd be in a mess. We'd be in such a mess. Because at the moment, there's no way F1 and the FIA would agree on en- pretty much anything. Um, and if you ended up with a third third party in this, like a voter, if all the teams decided they had had enough and wanted to break away, I think we'd be in a real mess. Do you not think that chaos sometimes brings people together? <laughs> you think they'd bond over I it? I think they would. <laughs> Stefano Domenicali and Mohamed Bentilium. I see Ferrari step out of line and go, this is the calling. <laughs> we are together again. Uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's a good story, that one, by the way. I completely forgot about Voters it. Voters fantastic. Yeah. Really interesting. And how they got... Spoiler alert again, but how they got Braun to be the first one to sign. It's very controversial. We won't go into it, but it re- watch the documentary. It's very interesting. They go into it. Obviously, you haven't seen it yet. They really go into a lot of detail about yeah. it. Yeah. Bernie, but uh, Braun needed the money that Bernie had. Probably Braun, Braun. Probably Braun, Braun. Bernie was like, sign here and I'll give you the money. Give me the money. <laughs> anyway, um, it, it, in conclusion, I don't think it's a great thing uh, that this carries on. I just don't think it's good. Good for the sport, the health of the sport. Do you think the the danger is more in that decisions won't get made and we, you know, F1 becomes stale because of that? Or do you think poor decisions will be made based on the lack of cohesion between the two? Is it a bit of both? Where, where do you think the the issues either already have started to come in or will start to come in? Yeah, I mean, it, it could be both of those. You can have You can have poor decisions, which we already have, to be honest. But that could even lead to, to to no decisions, and we we end up like yeah. It's, this is my point. I just don't think it's it's good. It's not. It's good for us to talk about, obviously, but it's not good. I don't think it's good for the sport because, yeah, like you say, we were seeing it over over Andretti. You know, this is sort of the the main one at the moment about whether we're letting Andretti in and F one don't want to, and the FIA do. And is that ever going to resolve? <laughs> Well, I have to, yeah, you can only, only base these things on what we're, we're seeing currently, right? You can't predict the future and big decisions and or new teams, right? Formula One management saying no, FIA saying yes. So to me, the friction is good because I want the FIA to fight for new competition. And I think that's right. So I agree that there's someone has to stand up to Formula One management. Otherwise, Andretti would go, can we come in? Formula One management goes no, and that's the end of it. We never see anything. So having someone to essentially stand up for general competition, I think is positive. Sprint races comes in. That's another big change. That's entirely Formula One management. FIA aren't allowed really to have a say on that because that's part of the overall just general competition. That's not about, you know, who competes itself or the overall rule set. That's the weekend's structure and things like that. That's up to F1 management to change. In our opinion, bad, cool, right? Don't enjoy that. If FIA were allowed to weigh in, would we have seen some kind of debate? Would they have spoken for us as consumers and gone, doesn't work? Don't know. I do think that you need to have... Friction may be not the best thing, but I do think you need to have an external party that stands up and says, well, there, this isn't going the right way for the people, for the viewer. And I think you need people, that. Man. Think of the people. When somebody think of the children. Um, and I do think you need that. I do In a sport like Formula One, which is governed by old white men with billions and billions of dollars, you do need someone to march in and go, hey, I don't think this is the right call. And I think that's okay sometimes. 
Yeah, I I mostly agree with that to be honest. Yeah, because I, I think his sometimes healthy quote. I yeah, I, I think he's got a point. Um, for the mainly for the reasons you've just said, Sam. In that, if one of the two parties was too powerful, you would have one party just rolling over the other, and I don't think that would be beneficial because whilst a lot of the time, in theory the FIA and F1 should have similar or the same objectives. There are going to be instances where what is good for one isn't necessarily good for the other. If you were to have a world where F1 was able to absolutely stamp its authority over the FIA, you would have 10 teams from now until the end of time. And then on the other side, if the FIA were too powerful, good Lord almighty, what on (laughs) earth would this world become? Um, So I don't think either extreme is right i don't think it's ideal and i think a, a mixture of of both to be able to put forward their case is in theory at least the way to go i think that the sometimes healthy bit is probably the most important part of that quote because there is absolutely a limit to this and it's a limit that the FIA and F1 have crossed multiple times by quite a long way uh it's not like a few times over the last year, they've they've just gone over that limit. No, they've they've gone over by you know ten miles. Um, so they need to rein it back, and maybe we do need two organisations that, in terms of their ideal ideology, they are closer in in line in terms of what they want. Because you know, yeah, like I say, in theory, there shouldn't be too much in the way of difference between what one wants versus what the other wants. The main difference is the teams want to be rich. And the FIA wants the sport to be rich, which can go hand in hand. But in the case of wanting an 11th team, doesn't obviously go hand in hand. So, um, yeah, I I think overall that and in terms of like the the outlook as well, from a public point of view, I, I agree with what you're saying there, Harry, that it just looks it looks amateurish at times, because whilst we know the differences between the FIA and F1 and why one exists and why the other exists, to a more casual fan, it just looks like the F1 as a sport is disagreeing with itself and it's a bit of a political joke. And to an extent, it is. Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like to an outsider you've got two competing bodies going up against each other. It just looks like one sport that's a mess, which obviously isn't something we want. No. Good debate. Well, everyone, unlike the F1 and FIA in certain points... We've done well. Good. Good. It's one of those where I feel like the beginning of 2023, we were in a position where like, okay, this year is probably going to be the worst that this relationship gets. And I feel like 2024 is going to try and outdo that. Being silly him out of nowhere with the steel chair. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. When when do you think this Andretti thing is going to be like, when is the poo going to hit the fan with this? Oh, always a great saying. Um, this year, isn't it? It's, I think summer this year. Because summer, they, they need a time window to get ready for 26, right? They need at least a whole season, really, to prepare, to ensure they're building the regulations correctly, to make sure that they're doing everything they can with personnel and car build. You can't let them sit on this 
pedestal hoping for a decision in the waiting room for 18 months and maybe they might get a call three months before the 2026 season starts. They rightly, as an organisation, deserve the chance to build themselves to a point of being competitive. Now, I don't know if F1 are stalling, the F1 management that is, are stalling because they go, well, if we do let them in, let's make them a failure. And if they're a failure, it proves our point and we don't do it again. Sure, clever tactic, run a long game, hurt yourself in some way to long-term gain. But I think the FIA need to push this through. And I think because of those conflicting goals, to, I think, reach the same overall objective of making Formula One a profitable yet exciting sport, um, they are going to butt heads on something like this. And it's going to come together, I think, because Andretti will kick off publicly otherwise if they don't get a decision, a formalised decision of yes or no by this summer. Um, that's what I would want to kick off. I'd be like, I need some bloody time to get things sorted. Got other things to do. Busy man. Well, I think, yeah. yeah. I think... Um, the FIA gave their stamp of approval on this in September. It was either September or October. I think it was September. So we're talking months later down the line and still nothing from F1. I struggle to see how this isn't decided in a courtroom. I think I th- that's where it will eventually be decided, in my opinion. How ridiculous. A lot of banter. Off to the courts we go. It just feels like it's an inevitability. And I agree with you, Sam. I think F1 is just playing for time, but I think we'll, um, I think that's where the, the end will, will come. And if you want to see us don our suits and head off to the courtroom to document what's going on, uh, subscribe to YouTube because when we hit 10K, we'll do it. No, that's not what we said. That's what we said. <laughs> no, no. Yes. So what's our role in this? Um, Court jesters. Yeah, yes. Yes. We will keep the tension light. I'm sure that's the right use of court. I mean, <laughs> I mean technically, we're technically we're already court jesters in the uh, in the court of public opinion. Yeah. But if Harry dresses up like Otmar Schnaffnauer, me and Ben will be one of his babies. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy that you call him Schnaffnauer. I can't say his name. <laughs> Schaff Schaffnauer. <laughs> can't say. His, I'm so sorry, Otmar. <laughs> He's fine. I was going to get into a whole debate about why Harry's Otmar and we're the babies, but that's not happening. So we're going to take Close our resemblance. next break. I do have nine children. Other- <laughs> Shut up. Love the daycare system. We're going on a break. Oh, dear. Oh, man. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay. 
Okay, welcome back. Uh, comments from Logan Sargent up next, uh, who's stated that uh, his belief that the gap between F2 and F1 is too big. Um, and has sort of referred to the old F2 chassis that's actually being, you know, there's a new chassis coming in for 2024, but he was referring to the 2023 one, just saying that overall, uh, in terms of pure pace, it's um, so far from what you get when you get to F1, um, that it's not particularly helpful. Sam, what are your thoughts on these comments? I can understand where he's coming from here. You know, as a feeder series, it is essentially a series that is designed to both create talent, build talent, and allow them to build their expertise in the situation so they are prepared for Formula One. That is the overall end goal of what these figure seasons are. It makes sense that the equipment has a logical step between one and the other, right? Formula Three should feed nicely into Formula Two and Formula Two should feed nicely into Formula One. Logically, that makes sense. It's got to, yeah. Yeah, that to me, yeah. I think actually what probably needs to change more about these figure seasons is the creation of the calendar and how regularly they're racing and allowing them to get more regular races under their belt because Formula 2 is like turning up for one exam every five months at school and hoping that you know the information. Whereas Formula 1 is actually like having to sit an exam every single day of the week and hoping that you nail every single one of them. And moving from one to the other is so difficult to do now, I imagine that that bit is harder. Um, we've said this a lot as well on the podcast, that when someone who is succeeding and doing really, really well comes out and complains about something, you often think that they generally just believe this isn't a very good idea. It's not going very, very well. And if Lando Norris has said this the year after he'd stepped up, when he achieved all those points and he put up a brilliant defence and he kind of suddenly lost to, to Sainz in, in McLaren, you would go... Yeah, fair point. He's done really, really well in Formula One, but maybe he thinks it's a problem here. But Logan Sargent has come out and complained after his first year where everyone called for him to lose his job. And he was by far one of the slowest drivers on the entire grid. And you just think, are you blaming the equipment at this point because you haven't done very well after the season and you want to put up some kind of defence publicly to make sure that people go, ah, the step up is really difficult because the equipment is so separate that you have to have to change something. I do think the junior formulas can adapt their technology so quickly and so often. You know, they have to follow Formula One. It would make sense if communication was better that they could develop it almost at the same time, but it's costly. So I think Logan's got a point, but I also do think that those who are absolutely the best at what they do will still just rise to the top and do very well. Your thoughts on this, Harry? Sounds like a you problem, Logan, mate. Get good oh, scrub. Oh, come <laughs> on. It is. Get good, get good scrub. Um... I'd, this, yeah, I agree on the the calendar because every year it catches me out when I we have like a three going. month break and then the finales in Abu Dhabi. It's like, well, what is the point in that? That's stupid. Literally, especially when it's been decided. Yeah, that's even worse. Um, so that that I get alter the alter the not the format because I think the actual F two format works. It's just the amount of races. Or, stick a few more races in or group them together. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, so that I get, but Formula Two is. Formula 2 is fast, by the end of the book. It's it's not a slow formula. It's quicker than IndyCar. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but if you do a, right? yeah. do a lap a, of, a, of an actual circuit, the F2 car, more often than not, gets it done faster than an IndyCar. Yeah, I, I don't, I, so I don't really... Uh, what do you do? You make them... Because obviously the, the other comparison here is they've got the super formula cars in Japan, which are quicker. They're um, much quicker. They're closer to F1 cars. They're, yeah. So you could go down that route, but but like you say, like it, there, needs, there needs to be some sort of jump. Otherwise, what is the point? The other comparison I suppose you can make here is that you look at someone like Liam Lawson who did what a season in Super Formula. And a lot of people claim that Super Formula is the second fastest 
formula across the world, right? F1 sits at the top, Super Formula's actually second. And I do wonder, you saw how well he came into Formula One. Everyone thought, oh, he's being thrown in, let him just... He's just got to do what he's got to do and not have any expectations. And then he did really well, right? Everyone did really, really well after three quarters of a season in Super Formula. Maybe... He might just be better. He might just be a better driver. Put, put Logan Sargent in a season in Super Formula and see if he nearly wins it, because that's what Liam Lawson did. Yeah. I, ju- I just don't think... Uh, this isn't a common complaint amongst other drivers who have come up from Formula 2. You referenced Lando Norris, George Russell. Max Verstappen, who didn't do it. He didn't do it. No, he skipped it. <laughs> was also still very good, he though, was wasn't He was too good. He Literally, didn't even do it. He was a touch the car. was better than Logan Sargent. Um, so, I'd, yeah, I just don't think this is um, a valid argument from from Logan. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure the step up is huge. Um, but that's... Formula 1 is not a finishing school. You 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 earn your right there. And he, and I guess he has earned his, earned his way, but you, you can't say... Yeah, it just feels like an excuse. You can't just say, well, it wasn't that good this year, but but it's because F2 was slow. It's a bit harder. <laughs> a bit too hard. Alex Albon's fine. Exactly. So, uh, get good scrub. Yeah. The um, the Lawson-Sargent comparison's an interesting one because, as I've mentioned a few times in previous episodes, their junior, career is, uh, their junior careers are so close to one another in terms of the series that they did and the performance they had in each of their series. Not really much to separate them whatsoever. The one big difference, as has been alluded to here, Logan Sargent went straight to F1. Liam Lawson had that season in Super Formula. So it'd be very interesting to know from, I guess, from Liam Lawson's perspective, how much he thinks that helped him in the in the jump to F1. Because as we know, Liam Lawson hit the ground running pretty much straight away. I mean, that Zamvoort weekend was obviously a tough one, although conditions-wise, it couldn't have been any worse for him. But pretty much from race two onwards, he was where he needed to be. Um, so it'd be, yeah, like I said, it'd be interesting to see um, how much that helped him. In terms of Sargent's comments, um, I don't think he's wrong in that the jump from F3 to F2 is far smaller than the jump from F2 to F1. But as Harry's mentioned, um, I don't disagree that that's, you know, I don't, I don't agree that that's a problem. I think that's absolutely fine because if F1 wants to stand alone as a pinnacle of motorsport, it does have to be a completely unique challenge, which it is right now. And I think F2 are already doing what they need to, to get their drivers ready for F1. The the 2024 chassis, as an example, is far more based on ground effect than the 2023, uh, the old one was. So that's a step in the right direction. And, you know, having two free practice sessions that the teams need to give to rookies, I think is another thing that they've done which is which is good and to be honest i'd look to increase that from two but i don't think anything more than that needs to happen i don't think f2 needs to be revolutionized to be closer to f1 um and yeah to your points we've seen a lot of drivers struggle in the last few years sergeant's on that list but if you were to look at devries schumacher mazabin latifi we have had quite a few rookie drivers struggle in the last say five years but for me, that just highlights the brilliance of what others have been able to do. Oscar Piastri, Lando Norris. So um, it, if there were literally no rookies who were doing very well, like two or three years into their careers, I would say, yeah, you might have a point. But because there have been that successes, there have been those successes, I think it's fine. Um, so yeah, overall, I'd say he's not wrong, but also I don't think it's a problem. Get good scrub. 
Thank you. I think F, you're right. You're right. FTO has always been maybe like a couple of years after a major rule change in F1. So as you say, with this one, the ground effect cars, when yeah. we moved to the sort of higher downforce cars in 2017, a couple of years later, the F2 cars changed. But even sometimes they've been ahead of the curve. So they moved to the 18-inch wheels before yep, F1 did. did. Yep. So you're preparing drivers already yep. before they get to F1. So yeah, I don't rubbish argument. And historically, we've always had drivers who come into Formula One and have only ever been mediocre and the best rise to the top, right? How many times have we had to say that? That if you are good enough, you'll adapt, you'll learn, you'll grow, you'll develop, you have that raw talent and that raw ability. Not everyone who comes into Formula One has to be a world champion contender. Some people are going to be better and that's what separates people being great at this sport to just being mid-table drivers. And that's going to happen. Sorry, Logan Sargent, that you're not a world champion. You're probably never going to be. And that's because simply you haven't got the raw talent to make it as, as, as a successful driver like Max Verstappen does. I also think there's an argument to say that the closer F2 is to F1, the closer it gets to it being the only route that drivers can go down to get into F1, which I don't actually think long-term is a good thing. Now we're almost, to be honest, we're almost there anyway, but I think making F2 even closer to F1 would cement that. But actually I, I appreciate IndyCar is a good example where you look at IndyCar drivers and where they've come from. Yes, some have come from Indy Lights, but you've got Indy Lights drivers, you've got former F1 drivers, you've got former Formula E drivers, you've got endurance drivers. Um, Scott McLaughlin's a great example. He comes over from uh, Australian supercars, does a great job um, in, in, in IndyCars. So you've got a real varied background of their drivers, which we don't have in F1, really. It's just everyone comes up the same route. So um, I actually think that's an argument as well to keep them distinct enough that it does open the door for Colton Herter or, you know, someone else um, who's in a different series um, to, to give it a go. I would also like to see more of a affiliation with Super Formula, actually. I do think there's a lot of very talented drivers there. It's a real test. And you see a lot of drivers that have been successful previously who do come into Formula One have had a hand in Super Formula at some way. And if they're not in Formula One, they're successful in endurance racing and other, other feature categories. So I wouldn't be against Formula One aligning itself almost to have a F2 or Super Formula route into the sport and seeing a slightly more equal footing for those two figure seasons. All right, let's, uh, let's change gears to Valtteri Bottas, who has stated he's looking to start uh, his contract negotiation with Stake slash Sauber slash Alfa Romeo slash Audi um, er as early in the season as possible in 2024, but looking ahead to when Audi officially come in in 2026. What are your thoughts on this, sir? Man is running for his life. He wants that security. Like, this reeks of a guy who thinks, not been great recently. I am getting a little bit older in terms of the rest of the F1 field. I need to nail something down now. Probably while they're a little bit insecure. And I would be shocked if Stake... That, uh, I was going to say, you're going to carry on with your calling him a different name for each week. Uh, well, we're getting there. What's it this week? Well, if you let me carry on, you've killed, you call him steak. killed the flow. I haven't called him Stake yet. Called him Stake bait last time. Yeah, but you just called him Stake then. I know, I'm getting to it. Ruined <laughs> my pole point. Can't remember what I was saying now. <laughs> my point here is, here we go. I'm back to it. I can't imagine they've got any negotiation power for what Audi want to do unless they're sending um, high-end corporate members into those negotiations to be one, part of one team. There's no affiliation between um, 
steak tartare, who are quite clearly <laughs> served cold, um, and Audi, who are able to come into the sport, obviously, in another couple of years' time. There's no affiliation between those. There's no corporate affiliation. They're not sponsors anywhere else. They're not tied together. This is quite simply a, a stocking filler of a Formula One team that we're seeing moving through those years. Valtteri Bottas, this isn't who you need to be worrying about. You need to be getting in the good books for, for Audi in two years' time. Not worrying about this neon green brand stealing Formula One team. Us. We're the green team. Thank you. Green machine. Green machine. That's our new chant. They stole our branding. I'm furious. You've been about it. Where are you? <laughs> Let's be having you. Um, yeah, I think this reeks of a, of a man who is a bit nervous and wants to nail something down because we've spoken about driver contracts before. Lando Norris, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, whose contracts in recent years and this year have come available for re-signing. And they've jumped at the opportunity to put their pen to paper for the same team they're at for multiple years, but they don't need to. They're so good. They're such hot property. They're desirable that they can afford to wait. They can take their time. I think Valtteri Bottas is no longer part of that pedestal. He's no longer part of that group. And he's going, I like my paycheck. I do enjoy racing in Formula One. I don't think any part of this is him going, I'm going to be a world champion if this goes the right way. I think this is a couple more years in the sport that are doing nicely. Thank you very much. I don't want to panic. I literally think that's what he's trying to do. I think he's just trying to sort himself out for the next couple of years before a, a, a young superstar turns up and wants to drive somewhere. In the nicest way possible to Valtteri Bottas, I don't think he ever was part of that group. Um, no. Because, I, I mean, Mercedes would have treated his contracts differently if uh, if he was. I, there was yeah. multiple opportunities for Mercedes to sign him to two or three-year deals. They didn't. They just kept it on a rolling one-year deal. Now, don't get me wrong. He was good enough to keep getting those one-year deals, but he they clearly didn't have the full confidence to go any further beyond that. Uh, and I think that, that list of who do you negotiate with years ahead of time that list is fairly small. Uh, you know, it's probably about five drivers, about a quarter of the field. And Valtteri Bottas, I just don't think is part of that list. Now, fair play to Bottas because, you know, he wants to be in Formula One long-term. You can't you can't blame him for that. There's nothing wrong with what he's doing here. Um, but yeah, from Stake and Audi's perspective, um, there's just no, there's no rush on this. Bottas isn't going anywhere, let's face it. There aren't any teams further up the grid going, oh, wish Bottas wasn't in that contract. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that sounds dear. horrible, but there are, there are so many quality drivers and quality younger drivers in F1 right now that there just isn't that clamoring for him that there might have been, you know, in his, his Williams days nearly 10 years ago. Um, you know, Bottas will keep doing what I believe to be a solid job at stake now that's what they're called god damn it that's so annoying um <laughs> but yeah they're um i don't think there's any rush from stake and audi's perspectives to um to do anything about 2020 that's two full seasons who knows who knows what's gonna happen between now and then yeah i mean with all this new branding and the like that they want to put into place as well he's he's really tried to give himself a new image isn't he bottas last couple of years he's now got the completely platinum blonde mullet that he's put in place. Yep. Mr. Gold Coast himself, the most Finnish Australian you're ever going to see. Um, and I do think he is really trying to diversify. Maybe he's learned a little bit off Lewis Hamilton in their time together. He's got the gin company. He's got a coffee company. I think he's now part of a cycling group that is now part of a business. He does wine. I think that, you know, he's part of a hockey, he owns a hockey team. 
he's really tried to diversify. I think he's trying to use Formula One as that kind of that platform to give him himself those opportunities. Are Stake, though, really going to look at Valtteri Bottas and go, we're all about revolutionising marketing in Formula One, man? Um, which I imagine they all talk because they're cool guys. Um, they're all Drake. Sure. They're all Drake. And I, I look like the typical Drake listener. <laughs> Hotline Stake. Um, yeah, are they really going to want to bring in Valtteri Bottas? Is he really the guy that they look at and go, that's our guy? Don't know. I don't know. And I imagine that Audi will be keeping a very, very close eye on that contract situation for who is available to them in a couple of years' time. Do you think he might be a viable option in a couple of years' time, Harry, given uh, it's not a new team, but it's a new brand in Formula One terms? Um, if there were to be a young, exciting rookie or a younger driver alongside him, might Bottas be a viable option? He, he might be a viable option. I think his best option here is just the number two in that team because I think Audi will try and go for someone big. Um so yeah, the, there is that. I I've, I'm gonna send out a search warrant um, for Valtteri Bottas's form. Oh, last seen oh. Miami 2022. Okay, please please return to Missing. to owner. <laughs> if lost, if found, if, if found, because that is the thing he needs to sort out first. That, you know, you're right, Ben. He's perfectly entitled. Him or the team <laughs> is it both? Him. Well, I don't know because the card's been pretty crap. But yeah, I. So that is hard, but it, it's not, he's not had a great year and a half, I don't no. think. But even in a crap car, you can see a great driver. But versus Joe is, I guess, is yeah, the, the but thing Yeah, but you here. saw it in Williams with Russell, right? You saw it in Williams with Albon. You you can see when a, a car is bad, but a driver is able to pull everything out of it. And he, he doesn't at the moment. And I think, yeah, I think that that's what he needs to, to find first and foremost, because he, as you say, Ben, he's perfectly entitled to, to put his hand up and say, I'm here, guys. Don't 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 forget about me. Um, but as you say, Audi Audi aren't going to rush into this or Sauber or State Bake. Um, State Tata. State Tata. State Tata. Um, Serve cold. They're not going to they're not going to rush into this. And I think he needs to deliver some stuff, some results on track, and that will help his case. Um, because yeah, at the moment they might be like, well, yeah, he could be an option, but we got two years yet. Because say hey, we ain't got a rush. We in no rush. I think as well because they've got a hard deadline. I don't think they really care about it. Who's the people driving for them? This is a branding exercise for them. And there, by the time we get to 2026, all sorts happen with contracts. There may be a bigger, better driver available for 2026. And Audi, they've got money. And if they're going to do this properly, which we think they are, then um, they, I feel like they're going to want to invest in it in a big name driver. So just concentrate on the on the track, Valtteri. I reckon Audi could get a driver in the middle aisle. Move on, Ben. Hopefully. <laughs> we'll actually go to our final break. We're going to be playing Fact or Crap on the other side. Fact or Crap. Fact or Crap. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice 
the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Okay, here we go. Fact or crap? Fact or crap? Fact or crap? Fact or crap? Yeah. I like that it starts with or, or crap. Yes, just cut it. <laughs> not sure why that, that happened in the segment. <laughs> or crap, fact or crap. <laughs> <laughs> That's better. Uh, right, we've got three statements um, that each statements. of us will say, whether we think is fact or crap. It is literally as simple as that. Uh, and the first one is this. Our favourite team, Alpine. Oh. oh. Alpine have a better chance of finishing in the top three this season than the bottom three. Is that fact or crap, Harry? Uh, f- crap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you think, think they have that. a better chance of finishing in the bottom three than the top three? Look at them. <laughs> Just look at them. <laughs> oh, God. I don't, I, I, look, I think it's unlikely they would finish in the bottom three, but they ain't finishing in the top three. There's no chance of that. No chance. I'm going to say that now and they're going to come back and haunt me this year. They'll be but, smug about something. Oh, they last, got a, last race of the season. They'll get in by one point. Nice. Um, yeah, that that's, again, I was being harsh here, but I, I don't think they would, there's much chance they would end up in the bottom three, but I think there's a greater chance they would versus ending up in the top three. So, um, yeah, sorry. Producer Kirsty just crawling on the floor. I'm not what's going. Yeah. What's going on over there? <laughs> fact. <laughs> that is a fact. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, that's crap. Sam, I think that if Alpine start building a house, the cement they're going to be using is made of crap. Because honestly, they got nothing. This is the biggest like a crap I've ever heard. Lather it on, because there's no chance they're building that house all the way to the top three. Because you push it, falls over, isn't it? Like a rubbish. You're just smashing out the analogies today. Honestly, Ben's inspired me. <laughs> it's just a guru. Um, no, this is absolutely like a rubbish. They've got about six employees. One of them's a dog. One of them's Ben. And I imagine that Sorry. they haven't got a car. They probably don't know what a tyre is. And they probably don't know what year it is. So if they turn up with the 2001 Jordan, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. Might do better. <laughs> it might, hey, it give might it a go. do better. Give it a go. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely like rubbish. There's an absolutely, there's, there's a, what, a 30, 40% chance they finish in the bottom three. There's a 0% chance they make it into the top three. The reason it is crap is because they can only finish fifth. And that's the fact. Is that the boiler? Yep. Hello, boiler. Uh, yeah, I think it's crap as well. It's, I don't think it's likely they finish in the bottom three, but if you look at who's, you know, Haas are pretty likely to be there, you would say, um, and maybe stake as well, but then you could see Williams making progress. You could even maybe see, uh, Alpha Tauri or whatever they're going to be called this year, making progress. If they're a bit closer aligned to that Red Bull, which if you didn't notice was, pretty good last season. So if both of those teams make the progress they would like to and Alpine don't, then suddenly maybe that eighth place becomes a possibility. Whereas like you say, Red Bull and Mercedes are 
are, are probably going to be in the top three and that just leaves one spot left. Are they going to be better than Ferrari, McLaren and Aston Martin? Seems unlikely. So I'll go crap. I'll go crap. The next- <laughs> <laughs> right, come back in a minute, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next one. If all goes well, the Shanghai International Circuit will be back on the calendar for 2024. The Shanghai International Circuit is a top 10 circuit in F1. Sam. Ooh. This is a tough one. I like the Shanghai International Circuit. I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan. <laughs> I am a big fan. Why, I, why say more words with fewer who trick? Thank you, Kevin. I You're just turning into Kevin uh, Malone. That's a bad thing. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Except um, I got to eat broccoli. I played the F1 game the other day and I did a race around Shanghai. Yeah. I haven't raced around that for, for a long time. It's a good little circuit. Delightful. I'm going to say- Is that your I'm, basis for your answer? <laughs> it's the video. Because I enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm going to say fact. I think, I'm not saying it careers its way down to a top five spot or anything, but you know- Nine or 10th, I think you can make a very fair debate for it. I think it holds the record for most overtakes of all time in a single Grand Prix. Um, that back straight is immense. The anting, anting, anting snail corner oh is hard well famous. Um, yeah, it's still there in the game as well. I love it. Never change, please. Um, <laughs> that first set of core complexes is really unique. I really like the way it has that slow curve all the way around it. You can take multiple lines through it. And the weather is often quite a big factor as well. I think it's good. It's a good track. I'm excited to see the new cars go around it. Harry? Um, I Look, if I pull together a top 10 list of it, are we talking currently on the calendar, right? Currently on the calendar, yeah. yeah. I don't know whether it would make it, but I'm going to say fact because, uh, like a personal top 10, but I am going to say fact just because I think for modern F1, it, it's a, it delivers a good race. Yeah, solid. And there might be, a, my heart would choose other circuits over, over Shanghai. Um, but actually it delivers, the only time it delivered a bad race was the last one we had, race 1000. The 1000. Yeah, and irony. it was an app. Tell me what happened in that race. Nothing. What was the sponsor for that? Is that big gorilla? No, that was just, wasn't that the that was French, French GP? French GP, wasn't it? No, but that was their trophy, but this was a, like a branding deal. They oh had. yes. Like a go, go ape. No, not go ape. That's the, Monkey bar. Go ape. Uh, I need to look at F1. Uh, when, sorry, this is completely off. I'll go with fact. But when Liberty came in, they did some random things. Do you remember 2019, the like weird edits they did of, of races? Oh, they need to bring that <laughs> back. With the dogs in the car. I like the eyes coming out. Yes. There was like, watch. I think I've still got the Alex Alban driver <laughs> the of the daylight one <laughs> saved on my phone. <laughs> need to bring that out. Uh, bathing we'll, we'll ape. That. Bathing ape. And they yes. did a camouflage Formula One car with it as well for race 1000. Here it is. Pink one. Yes. Anyway. I, I remember it, but barely. There you go. The, I the race. remember that. The race itself. Did no. Bottas win it? Uh, hmm. I thought Ricardo won Can't it. remember. I was 18. Oh, that yeah. was a good one. He was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, anyway, fact. Yeah, fact. Sorry. Yeah. I'll close it off by saying fact, just about. It probably gets in at like nine or 10, I would say. But I'm I'm intrigued to see how these new cars go around the, the track because we, we don't really know what the, the new era of F1 is going to look like um, around that circuit. But I think, I think it probably will work based on how it did work in the previous era. The last one of our selection on fact or crap today is this. Harry pre-season testing should not be televised. Fact or crap? Uh, 
don't know. Of course, not televised for a long time, but the last few years it has been. I'll go crap. The problem... Look, I... It's... I don't watch testing. <laughs> I can't lie to no. you. Can't lie to you guys. I thought you were glued to the screen. All day, every day. Um, no, I, I don't watch it, but I can see how it's it's making it more accessible. And I don't know, there, there's a part of me that, this is going to sound really old. I used to enjoy when we had testing. You didn't really know what was going on. Like, was it when you got glimpses of a picture would come through or a video would pop up on Twitter, I guess. And you'd be like, oh, that, that's exciting. And all oh, car looks interesting. Yeah. Oh, that looks like we haven't seen, but and now it's, it, there's, I don't know, the televised bit makes test the whole like start of the testing season a little bit like less special for me. But however, I think it, it's better for F1 that they do. Because there, well, there will be people who will just sit and watch testing. Um, what I can't deal with is some of the horrific banter that we get from the commentary because they just sat there for hours on end. It's a tough job, to be fair to them. I know, but good Lord. Yeah, what would we say for seven to eight hours of not a lot happening? Not a lot, nothing happened. It's testing. I know, you've got no concrete just running around. They're not racing each other. Are they on heavy fuel? Don't know what they're doing. Yeah. What does the multicolored paint do? I'm, yeah, so I'll, I'll say I'll say crap because I, it's not fair to take it away from people, but also I just don't whatever I don't don't need it. I didn't say this with this in mind, but do you remember the whole ordeal about Spanish the the Spanish shakedown, shakedown. Oh. that wasn't that wasn't a preseason <laughs> test, but it was because they couldn't call it that because Bahrain had to be the only preseason test. And everyone in F1 media was like how it was a shakedown. Sorry, a, a, a 10 team shakedown. Was that what they <laughs> absolute rubbish? You know my Duracell battery on the Williams. That's Ben's Duracell <laughs> battery on the Williams. His Roman Empire. It, that, was yes. so <laughs> that was so stupid. That was so stupid. More than anyone that I know. And it is annoying, but he loves it. That was dumb. It was 2022, right? Because it was the first. Yeah, they had an extra yeah. test because it was new cars, but it wasn't a test. It was a shakedown. No. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't televise it. No. Fact or crap on this one, Sam? I am going to go with fact. Bring it off from the TV screens. Um, I think it causes unprecedented hysteria on social media when it comes to anything to do with uh, the standings. And I hate it. You'll base it on nothing. You don't know what's going on, viewer. And neither do I. Fernando Alonso hype train last year was, I loved it. And maybe that is fun. Maybe <laughs> that, but it also just kind of annoys me. Um, I, much like yourself that you spoke about, I love turning up to the race day on season one and going, I don't know what's going on. I love it. I'm excited. One car might be amazing. One car might not be. I don't want to know the data. I don't want to know what goes on. Um, I like the mystique. There's a lot of Formula One now that has almost been brought into the modern world where it's so accessible, which is great, but I don't want it to go so far that it's not... The, oh, I remember the childhood excitement of seeing the cars come out of the garage for the first time with the first race as a kid and being like, here we go, new season. I'm really excited. And now it's kind of like, like you said, shakedown happened. Okay, didn't get to see that, but it wasn't really a test, or was it? And then we go to Bahrain, and then I can watch Formula One endlessly. It's so immediately there that I felt like I knew a lot before we even got into the season. And I, there's a little bit of me that enjoys the anticipation and the excitement, and they're not going because I'm like you. I don't watch it. I choose to. I might watch a little bit of a highlight thing online, but I don't watch it. Um, and a lot of it is to keep the excitement of what's going on. 
have to pay more attention how we do this bloody podcast. Have to be informed. But, but sorry it's, about that. It's, te- it's testing, isn't it? It doesn't matter what happens in testing. No, literally doesn't matter. It could be, all be irrelevant. But so I'm, I'm going to say stop airing it. I don't care if you want to give it to the people. <laughs> Taking it away. Taking it away. To be, I, I watch a little bit of testing and I'm still going with fact on this because of the reasons you gave, I, I think it does take away the excitement of that first weekend of the year, particularly because it's, it's at the same track as the well. Same track. Uh, yeah. Um, but I feel like it does take a, away a little bit of the excitement of that. And honestly, there are just too many people that try and make preseason testing something that it isn't like people. Oh, well, this isn't very exciting. No, of course it's not. It's testing you more on. It's not supposed to be. <laughs> you don't go like, watch a, a training football match and go, well, this exactly. isn't the, this isn't the finale of the, the champions league. No, cause they're practicing. And in nearly every other sport, this sort of thing isn't televised for that reason. But for whatever reason in F1, it is. Um, and people just get unrealistic expectations about what it's supposed to be. You're right. You get commentary bored out of their mind, not knowing what to say, because there's not a lot to say after a certain point. There is a lot of hours in the day to fill. If you are doing three day or four day tests, that's like, you know, 32 hours worth of content that you need to fill. Crikey. Um, when, as you've already referenced, you don't really know what's going on. And I mean, this is incredibly sad, but I, I did enjoy the suspense and the excitement of not knowing, like keeping up to date with text commentary of what was going on and testing, I found more exciting than watching it. Agree. Yeah. Hard agree. There's a lot, you, your mind does a lot of them. It's like almost like reading a book. Your mind does a lot of the imagery. And sometimes when you read the book and then you watch the film of that book, the book's better because you've done a lot of the creating of the drama and what's going on. And the film fails to meet those standards, much like watching testing over reading it and imagining what's going on. Yeah. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with fact on that one. Yeah, well that, that was a, we sound real old. Real grumpy. Yeah. Grumpy old men. I also, Sorry about that. Maybe teams should test a, a track of their choice and not all together, just off camera. It's just getting a lot amount of time. So I guess you'll cost, but I was going to say, I don't think it should be the uh, Bahrain. I disagree with the Bahrain choice, yeah. Make it a diff. I, I get, make it close to where the first race is, if you can do it close to, in terms of dates, but... It's, it, you know, you're sort of spoiling it a bit. Castle Coombe. Yes. <laughs> Let's do it at Castle Coombe. To be fair, Come I on. think it should be done at a track that isn't on the calendar. It also doesn't make sense to fly 80% of the teams out of the UK or around that area all the way to the Middle East just to then do the test to then run it on the same race in day one. I don't, I don't mind that point if they're, you know, testing and then it's you go into the race weekend. That kind of makes sense. But the, although there is still like... A week or so, isn't there? Yeah. Just sit around for a have to sit around and do nothing. But um, yeah, do a different track. Anyway, we've gone on too long. <laughs> Waffling on. Yeah. So get us out of there then, mate. Uh, join the Discord. Links in the description. We are still very active. Loads of people chatting. And I, I, I'm going to do it. We had the end of the uh, Discord celebrations for the league that they run. And I said that I would shout out the winner as, a, as their prize Who's for winning the, winner? the league. Uh, so the winner with 418 points is a driver called Dollar Fifty. Of course. <laughs> well done, Dollar Fifty. Great name. <laughs> How did 63 cents do? I'm <laughs> not in the top 20, I'm afraid, Ben. Oh, the exchange damn. rate isn't good. Um, F Luchador got 322 points in second and Big Sheck. It was actually just called Sheck, but I 
Yeah, got 301 points in third place. Well done. Well done to the league. Um, and in the constructors, Williams. Williams won the constructors um, with Brown 13, Dollar 50 driving there. And Alpha Tari came second with Luke and Choco Drizzle. How many seasons have they done? I think this is the end of the first season. All oh, right. So we, we go again. We go. They're doing a, I think they're doing a chill winter and league. And Diama Nova. Italian over it. Nice. Um, if you're enjoying it though, I think they've got openings or they're interested in running certain things. So get in the Discord, you can find it in the gaming channel that we've got there. The community's really growing, which is lovely. Uh, Patreon is available. Um, two episodes extra every month. Everything on there is ad free and you get things like beer with breaking and discount on your merchandise and things like that, which is really, really cool. The latest beer with breaking, not out yet, but a, oh, a sensational wow. one. I'll give you three words to describe it. Would you rather great game honestly uh, can I just it, it's a good game if you play it right <laughs> and we, and we did, did. <laughs> <laughs> can we um, before we can we shout out the blind yeah but folks if you don't watch on YouTube Ben has got a late breaking blind to cover his window that. it used to shower him in holy light of course as you may remember he is now showered in late breaking goodness uh, and it is maybe the best blind I've ever seen a late breaking shower late breaking shower <laughs> that's the very top tier of Patreon if you'd like one of those uh, <laughs> thumbs down and, <laughs> yeah, thanks for listening we're going to be back again uh, midweek as always um, we love you and we're going to leave you. In the meantime, I've been Samuel Sage. <laughs> I've been Ben Hawking. And I've been Harry Eads. And remember, keep breaking late. Stick to that. <laughs> <laughs>